0: Well good morning and welcome to Hope Church Lytham it's great to see you here this morning we are currently in a series entitled A New You and this is part 2 of that series we are delving through the book of Ephesians a letter written by Paul to the church in Ephesus uh, last week we had a bit of an introduction and now we are into part 2 so what I hope for and what I'm praying for is that as we work through this series, as followers of Jesus, we'll be reminded of the fact that we are, in fact, a new creation. The old has gone and we are brand new. You know, sometimes we may look like or sound like or even act like the old us, but if we we're intentional, we can realize the truth that we have been transformed by the power of God and actually begin to live the new life that God wants for us. So we're going to delve into Ephesians chapter one. So why don't you turn with me there and we're actually going to read the whole chapter, the whole of chapter one. (coughs) So Ephesians chapter one, starting at verse one, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age, to come, And he put all things under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Why don't we pray? Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word. And I pray this morning that you will speak directly to the hearts and souls of everyone who is here this morning and everyone who is listening Online, we just thank you for the precious word of God and for the wisdom uh, that it brings to our lives. And so, this morning, we pray that you speak directly to us, challenge us, inspire us, and may we leave this place changed and more and more into your likeness, more and more into the new you that you have called us to be. And everyone said, Amen. So, in the Greek, those verses verses 3 to 14 a big long chunk of scripture that we that we read as part of that chapter that those verses are actually one long sentence and i, I believe that paul wrote it in that sense because it was it was full of passion it was full of an, an urgency and it was just you can almost picture him as kind of scribbling the words down on the page just desperate to share everything with them and and yet within this one long sentence it's filled with some of the most heated debated written about blogged about tweets about subjects in all of scripture you know you've got predestination adoption sovereignty grace spirit it's it's all in there so why is Paul hitting them all with this content so thick and fast like bam 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 and I believe it's because he's got a sense of of urgency. He's got a sense from God about the importance of this local church in Ephesus, this community, this group of people, this tribe. So he just splurges out all these, these important facts and this information to them in one long sentence. And I wonder if this morning we can take some of that passion and some of that enthusiasm that Paul pours out onto the page in his letter to Ephesus and and maybe we can grapple with some of the teachings and life lessons that he's sharing with them so that we can begin to realize our potential as a local body of Christ that's meant to influence its community and advance the kingdom. So I believe that that Paul is communicating to them and highlighting the new you that is good. But it's not just about you and that actually it, God wants to work through you for the benefit of his kingdom. It's not just about me and, and my agenda, but actually, it's about God and, and his agenda. You see, God's not just doing stuff in, in your life so that you can feel kind of warm and fuzzy and that, that you can feel the joy and peace that you've been missing until that point. But actually, we as a collective need to be carriers of that. And, and ultimately, we need to be sharing that with our community, with our friends, with our family, so that they too can, can get hold of and, and feel this joy and this peace that we get from knowing God. And so maybe, just maybe, Jesus is trying to, to get our attention this morning, that he's looking to remind us that actually this new life that we have been called to enjoy is not just to be enjoyed and, and live to the full, not just for, for us as individuals, but actually that we can share that, that we can impart that to, to other people so that they too can experience that joy. And in verse 15, Paul makes this kind of transition from praise to prayer. And and prayer seems to be his response. You see, he's he's so thankful for what's happening in the, the church in Ephesus. And just look at verse 17. This is what he's been praying for. He's been praying for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You know, of all the things that he could have prayed for, for the people in Ephesus, you know, he could have been praying for health or well-being or blessings or strongholds to be broken from the lives that they had been living. But instead, what he chooses to pray for is wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's not praying that they would know kind of facts and figures about their faith. He's not praying that they can repeat the scriptures on commands, forwards, backwards, upside down, and any which way. But actually, he's praying for a deep awareness of God, that they would have a greater relationship with their heavenly Father. You see, you could have prayed for blessings, but what do blessings produce within us? Honestly, if we, if we ask ourselves honestly what, what blessings produce within us for the most part, and I'd love to say that actually the honest answer to that would be gratefulness and, and humility and, and, and all those kind of joyful feelings. But I think sometimes when blessings are flowing and, and life is good, then sometimes actually it can lead us to a bigger focus on self. Maybe I'm too busy enjoying all this goodness to spend time in, in prayer, but maybe when something goes wrong, then, then I'll turn back to God. But instead, instead of praying for blessings, instead of praying for something that could lead to an inward focus, instead, Paul prays for wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. And these things all flow out of an obedience to God. You see, God, when God's in your life, when he's involved, when he's included, when he's walking with you, when you're doing life in partnership with him, you know, mate. have you ever watched a movie and, and you've enjoyed it and then you're sitting with your, your parents or friends from church maybe and you're watching that movie and then, then as it plays out, it slowly dawns on you and that kind of memory comes to mind that, Oh wait a minute there's that that one questionable scene that's fast approaching and you begin to get a bit nervous and your palms get a bit sweaty and, and maybe you jump to your feet and say oh do you know what i've remembered this movie isn't isn't a, it's got a really bad ending and you you kind of press stop on the dvd player or you switch off netflix and 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 maybe choose something that you know is a safe bet let's go with disney instead of whatever it it is that that you are watching, but it's interesting, isn't it, that the difference that presence makes on your standards. You know, what you have, may have enjoyed in the privacy of, of your own company then becomes inappropriate in the presence of your Father. So imagine coming to the realization that your Father, your, your Heavenly Father, is with you. And the more you start to involve him and in include him in your life, the more aware you become of the, the words that you're saying and the life that you're living and the decisions that you're making. And, and maybe, just maybe then, we can begin to live like this new you, this picture that we've been painting as, as part of this series. So Paul uses prayer here to to highlight that actually our focus should be to get more of god not to get more stuff not to meet all our wants and desires but simply to to want more of him because ultimately it's it's all about god isn't it we shouldn't be praying to get things from god we should be praying to get god and don't hear me wrong, it's not wrong to ask God to meet our physical needs. It's not wrong to, to ask God to bless us because actually He is still our, our Father. He's our Heavenly Father and, and, and ultimately He wants to pour out His blessings on us like, like any parent would want to bless their child with anything and everything that they could. But ultimately that needs to come second. It needs to sit second place to simply wanting more of God. You know, as parents, I think maybe this this picture comes to us a little bit easier because if if our children just came to us and and just only when they wanted to ask something of us, if they just appear in in the lounge when they need to borrow a tenner, or or, or they just kind of crop up when they want to give you their their gift list for their birthday, then maybe that would kind of make it a bit harder to want to bless them because, well, actually what I want more than anything is just to hang out with you. I just want to spend time with you. I just want to do life with you. And that's the same with our Heavenly Father, you see, first and foremost, He just wants to do life with us. He wants to hang out with us. He wants to get to know us. I mean, in reality, He knows us more than we know ourselves. He knows us better than we know ourselves. You know, the scriptures say that that not only does He know us, but He, he knows how many hairs we have on our heads. And that's easier for some of us in the room than than others. But he wants to get to know us, even though he knows us better than we know ourselves. He wants us to share life with him. He wants to, to do life with us. He wants to have that relationship with us. Because in reality, when we go to God only when we want something, you know, when we, we go to God because we want a new house or a holiday or healing or, or whatever it is, that 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 might not and, and probably is not what we actually need. You know, I'm reminded of the story of the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof during a meeting and he gets in front of Jesus and what he needs, or what he wants, sorry, is healing. That's why he's there. He wants to be able to walk again. So his friends carry him and place him in front of Jesus, believing that Jesus can, can heal him in that physical sense. But what does Jesus do? In that moment the first thing that Jesus does is he forgives his sins. He forgives his sins and then he follows that with spiritual healing but that's secondary to his salvation because God sees our primary need and our primary need is relationship with him. And that comes above anything else that that we could desire from healing through to blessings First and foremost comes salvation, comes relationship. So I pray that when we go to God, it can be, God, I want more of you. Not that we come to God with a, with a shopping list, but just, God, I want to just hang out with you. You know, we were given two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I believe that's an important picture of prayer because actually, you know, we should spend more time. I think most of us just when we get into a prayer time, we just talk at God. I know it's a habit that that I I got into a, a long time ago that I would spend my time in prayer and I would just talk, talk, talk. God, you're amazing, and God, you're you're so great, and God, thanks for what you've done in my life, and and God, what I could really do with right now is this and, and that. But actually, the important thing that we need to understand is we need to hear from God more than we speak at him. That's so important in prayer. So I pray that, that, you know, we can grasp hold of that truth, that we can, we can begin to walk in that realisation that it's important to do relationship with God, not just to go to him with requests, not just to, to, uh, to talk at him, but to listen as well. So what I want to do now is just turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're just going to read the first 10 verses of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, with which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's such a great portion of Scripture. It's such a, a really powerful message. And what I really love most is is those two words in verse four that say, "But God, but." God. You see, Paul is laying out, this is, this is how you lived. This is, this is what life looked like. And this is all the things that you were doing wrong. But God, God stepped in. God came into our lives. God offered us this incredible gift that could free us from where we were and the things that we were doing and the way in which we were living. You know, I was so lucky in life kind of kind of growing up i had great parents i had a private education i had nice holiday holidays and and i know how good i had it I, you know i didn't kind of take it for granted i recognized that that all these holidays abroad and and the the life that i i, I lived w- was a blessing it was truly a blessing but in in that journey and in, in that process of of life my parents would teach me and they would they would let me know that i did in fact have it good. You know, I'd, I'd hear stories from my mum's childhood about how there were eight of them in this two up, two down, and they made their own fun out of whatever they could find in the, in the street, and all they got at Christmas was an orange, and they, were, and they were grateful for it. I don't know how I'd feel about if Christmas, when Christmas comes along, if all I opened was an orange, but maybe that's something I need to sort out in my life. But they let me know and they taught me that actually this life that I had wasn't the life that everyone had and and that actually I was truly blessed. And in chapter two, what we see through verses one through seven is once again in in the original Greek is this one long sentence from Paul. He's just kind of scribbling down with passion and a strong desire to remind the church in Ephesus of where they came from and and what their life did look like before Jesus. But then he goes on to say, by grace, you have been saved. But what is Jesus saving me from? What, What does he mean by this? before paul defines the new you and begins to explain some of that he deliberately and descriptively wants to reveal to you the old you he begins you were dead in your trespasses and sins now as christians we who have been around the block a bit we get that language it makes sense to us but if you're a non-christian you know maybe you're just going to get confused by that i'm i'm not dead I'm very much alive, thank you very much. But, but Paul says the old you is dead. Jesus didn't come to earth to make us from good to great. He didn't come to earth to make us great to, to better. In fact, Jesus didn't even come to make bad people good. He didn't, he didn't come to make improvements in those tense, sense. In, in fact, what we're talking about here is death to life. You know, my personal testimony is not that I was an okay person. I was doing all right, and then I accepted Jesus, and he made me a little bit better. That's not what happened. In, in reality, I was dead, and now I'm alive. I was dead, and now I'm alive, and, and that's what Jesus does. That's the, the truth. That's the power of this gospel message. Before Jesus, we were dead. Without Jesus, we are dead, and what Paul's describing here is the the state that actually without Jesus in our life we're incapable of having a relationship with our creator we're incapable of connecting with our designer a good way to look at it is before Jesus we're we're, we're desensitized in that sense has anyone ever experienced kind of desensitization you know it's a good way to explain it is I don't know maybe you like action films or or a gritty drama, and and possibly the first time you you kind of watched a movie like that, and you saw I don't know a violent scene or, or some nudity, and it shocked you, and you had that that response of oh wow this is not good for my eyes to be seeing. But the more you watch things like that, the more you expose yourself to to that kind of uh, visualization, the, the more desensitized you become, the less. It shocks us, and, and over time we become desensitized to the point where actually it takes a whole load. It takes something really graphic to give us that response of, of shock that we had in the first place. And that's what desensitization kind of looks like. And, and in life, I believe that when we spend so much of our time living without Jesus, living like the old you, that actually we become desensitized to it. Jesus is a savior? A savior from what? Without Jesus, we're dead. We can't connect to him. We aren't really even aware of him. There isn't that desire within our hearts. But Paul says that that's the old you. He says you were dead and you were following the course of the world. In other words, you were following along with kind of current culture, and, and the current culture makes what's bad look good, and, and, and sometimes it makes what's good look strange and illogical. What do I mean by that? Well, oh, wait, you're, you're still a virgin? You, or you waited until you were married? Our culture says that, that keeping yourself for marriage, it, it's weird, it's strange, it, it doesn't make sense anymore. Why? Why would you not, you know, try before you buy, if you, if you will? It's just, it's not normal anymore. If you're following the course of this world, what's bad seems right. And what's good in God's eyes just looks strange. And it gets worse as, as Paul writes, he says, following the course of this world, but also following the prince of the power of the air. So now we're getting a glimpse of the enemy who is having some influence in our life when we're away from God. And then Paul goes on, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. This is the old you. He's saying you were dead to God. You were following cultural trends. The devil has some influence in your life and primarily your decision making is focused around what feels good, but it feels good, you know so why would i why would I not' is that there's is that saying it, How can it be so wrong when it feels so right that 's what culture defines as truth, but the Bible says otherwise. the more we do what we feel like doing, the more people get hurt, and the more we feel empty inside. you see, we lived by instinct and and impulse and we think it's satisfying to us but it's actually having the opposite effect so jesus saves saves from what well stuff like this and as you live like that as you live in that paul says you are children of wrath there's some harsh words dead to god Living by cultural trends, the enemy having sway on your life, living by instinct and impulse, you're under the wrath of God. But then look at this change of tact. Look at this, this interjection as Paul writes, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, but God. That right there is the whole reason we meet to praise and worship god week in week out every sunday we gather together because we were dead in our sins but we you know we'd fallen short of god's mark we'd messed up slipped up gone wrong again but god and not by anything we've done not because we earned it or deserved it but because god butted in but god It wasn't your doing it was God's doing he took the old you and he disposed of it and he replaced it with the new you but God being rich in mercy I love that let me let me read you this description of mercy that I found mercy fuels compassion providing promising glints of of light in a darkened world it's kindness forward forgiveness and empathy Mercy chooses not to be offended and compassionately sees a hurting heart behind hurtful words. God's mercy is reflected in the cross of Christ and a direct reflection of his love for us. Mercy is an extension and an expression of love. Wow, what an incredible picture that is. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. I mean, we could preach a whole series on how good God's love is, couldn't we? It's, so, it's just so vast. He so loves us, John three sixteen, because God so loved the world. He gave his only son. He loves us so much, so much that he would give such an incredible gift, the gift of the life of his only son. So Paul says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here's the new you. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wait. That that's the new me? Is that how we describe ourselves as Christians if if someone asked us what makes you a Christian how how would you respond? Would you say, well I go to church. I tie that I I don't know, I I highlight my Bible. I I don't swear often. I give to charity. I, I do good things. Well, at no point in this description of the new you does Paul say, Here's what you do, here's what you don't do, here's the kind of performance of the new you. That he doesn't even go there at all. He he just says, You were made alive together with Christ. We're alive. We're now sensitized to the things of God. We're aware of his permanent presence in our life. We can hear him. He's always talking to us, but now we're alive. We can actually hear what he's saying and speaking into our lives. So the proof that we're new in Christ Jesus has got nothing to do with our performance and the things that we do, but actually it's that we're alive in Christ that we know his nearness, that we can hear his still, small voice. Because there was once a time when we were dead to sin, when we were slaves to ourselves, when our urges and our desires took the forefront. But now we're alive and we're aware of our creator. And then verse 6, he says, And he raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places. So good, isn't it? I, I don't know about you, but when I thought of a description of the new me, I was, I was kind of expecting a, a list of here's what to do, here's what not to do, here's a plan, here's some structure. And, and, and we'll see Paul kind of go there later on in the letter. But first and foremost, he just wants to say the new you is about being with God. He's made us alive together with Christ. He's raised us up with him. He's seated us with him. He just wants us to be with him. The new you begins and is born out of being with Jesus. It's about relationship. It's about living life with him. It's about being in his presence. That's what it's all about and I am excited to to go further and to delve into kind of the bigger picture as Paul begins to unpack this message a little bit. But this morning, what I just want us to to focus on, what I want us to recognize is the truth that the the key thing, the key uh, uh, kind of access into becoming the new you that we've been called to be is having a relationship with God. is walking each day with Jesus, hand in hand with him, in partnership with him, recognizing that he is always with us and allowing that to impact our behavior and the way we talk and the way we walk and the way we live and the way we love. Why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are with us all of the time. And may that never change. Father God, we thank you that you uh, that you are with us in the good times and that you are with us in the bad. I thank you that we don't need to just come to you when we need something, but we can just come to you when we want to hang out. We can just come to you and just sit in your presence. We don't even need to speak. We can just sit in your presence and, and may we hear from you more clearly. I pray that as we, as we do life with you more consistently, as we walk with you each and every day that actually we will begin to hear even more clearly your voice as you speak into our hearts and into our lives the plans and purposes that you have got for us that we can begin to hear and grasp hold of the understanding of just how much you love us. You so love us. We were dead but God came in and brought us life. We just thank you for that truth. We thank you for the gospel, and we thank you for your love and your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.